American culinary and cinematic pop culture. It's a war queen. It's a war queen. It's a war queen. Welcome to Award Waiters. I'm John, joined by my co-host from Womb to Tomb, David. This is our night at the Oscars, where we watch Oscar-winning movies while enjoying Oscar Meyer Wieners. It's a celebration of American culinary and cinematic pop culture. In this episode, we discuss the musical drama about gang warfare, West Side Story, winner of the 1961 Oscar for Best Picture. Dave, what's going on? Wacko Jacko daddy <laughs> <laughs> bim bam <laughs> was, was it bim bam or Z, it was like bim bam zim zim rome there's some really wa- wacky uh slang in this one i mean daddy down is goes the trouble youth <laughs> uh yeah how am i doing i'm doing pretty good i am back in new york city city after a two-month break i escaped right before omnicron and now i'm back yeah what, what's up with you I mean, it's basically work and then that's it can't really think of too much i've been doing outside of that but you but generally you're doing good since last we talked i think everyone's still like in their covid phase like i think maybe it's coming to an end i hope it feels like that yeah it feels like that because we felt that way like three times before at least and then it doesn't end maybe we're getting back to normal i think we've got a couple things planned i'm gonna go visit you in like three weeks or so we've got some things that we'll do in new york city before you leave yeah i'm thinking about leaving uh new york I'll let everyone know about that when that happens, actually. <laughs> when you're here, we'll make sure to visit the West Side and do some snap choreography uh, for the TikToks, you know, just so we can gain some more followers. Do you know what neighborhood this is supposed to take place in? I mean, I bet you could figure it out. I bet we could Google right now what neighborhood it's supposed to take in. We could figure it out. I don't even think it's a neighborhood. It might just be a street, two streets. According to the internet, this is set in the neighborhood of Lincoln Square or San Juan Hill. On the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Yeah, I haven't been there. I don't think I have either. I don't even know where that is. No, well, we can hit up there when you you can visit. That's like the exact opposite part of town from where you live. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it is far away. That's why I haven't been there. <laughs> uh, probably not this time. Cool. What first run movies have you seen, or generally what media have you consumed? Do you want to share with everyone? What have we been doing? So I started going through some of the Best Picture nominations for the next year. I watched King Richard. I've watched Power of the Dog, and I think I've seen a few of the other ones already, Dune being one of those. So far, actually, I think King Richard is my favorite of the ones I've watched. What about you? I've seen seven of the ten. I'm going to probably see Licorice Pizza this week, and then the last two I haven't seen, so West Side Story and Drive My Car drop early March. So I will see all ten before we do our Best Picture Prediction episode. Uh, generally, they're fine. Uh, I do like I do like King Richard. I did want to mention a movie I saw that's very new, Moonfall. It is the most ridiculous movie I've seen in five years. Not to be confused with Moon Crash, just in case you got suckered by that. Do you want to talk about that, John? Sure. So on Google Movies, it's where I typically rent my movies. There's a movie called Moon Crash, and it was like $6 to rent. And I was like, oh, I wanted to see that. You know, that's the movie I've been seeing trailers for. No, it's not. It's like one of those knockoffs that looks like the movie that's coming out. Let's try to get people who aren't paying close attention to give it money. And it almost got me until I looked a little closer and was like, wait a second. 
that's the story there. I'm going to wait for Moonfall to be streaming and then I'll watch it. That looks like a fun movie. Dave, tell us your thoughts on it. I described it as um, every 20 minutes it got twice as dumb and I liked it four times more. <laughs> it's absurd. It's one of the most absurd movies and I can't tell if some of the lines are meant to be funny or serious. I'm not going to share them here because, again, if you're going to watch this movie, you should just go in and blind. Generally, really, really liked it. It's not a good movie. It is it is a B movie. It is a C movie. It's destruction porn. But it's fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> is it like an Armageddon? Is it like the perfect storm? Like, what are we getting into? Yeah, you're talking about you're talking Armageddon level. The day after tomorrow level. Nothing makes sense. Lots of action. <laughs> Big drama. Character types. Like, like archetypes, not really characters. The deliveries are so ridiculous. Like, these actors are seeing lines with straight faces. I don't know how they're doing it. Literally, and this is just one, they're like, save the moon, save the earth. <laughs> and straight face the whole way, whole way through. It's good. It's good. <laughs> yeah, so I would recommend that. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't rush out to see it, though. So if you have a chance to see it on streaming, you can just wait for it to stream. I was lucky, and I got a matinee showing for $8, and I was the only one in the theater, so I had a private screening. This is my shocked face. that's always nice if that happens uh it doesn't happen too often though it's hard to get it to you know where you're the only one there's always like two people that show up and you're like damn it almost almost to myself i could be on my phone the entire time and no one would care (laughs) i mean what i mean i didn't do anything i just watched the movie i put my feet up that's about it yeah (laughs) john are you are you ready to jump into this movie we're talking about West Side Story, the 1961 version. We know the new version's up for Best Picture as well, Spielberg's version. I haven't seen that yet. I'm actually looking forward to it for a comparison. Uh, but Dave, how would you describe the 1961 version of West Side Story? Yeah, I think we're going to go short and sweet on this one. It's teens from rival gangs fall in love. The other thing is like the setting is New York City, and the gangs are sort of like ethnicity-based so one is Puerto Rican, the other one is Polish, I believe. The first generation Americans. It's an American gang compromised of kids whose families were immigrants. Okay, so movie facts. So this movie was released October 18th, 1961. It has a uh, runtime of two hours and 33 minutes. Usually I'm one to complain about this. It did not feel that long, to be honest. Budget. million, and it brought in a hefty $43.6 million. It had two directors, so Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins. There were two directors because Robbins, he directed and did the choreography for the play, so they brought him in to do the dancing in the film. Wise was on hand to do the drama. He was known for doing films ahead of schedule and under budget, so that's how they were going to split the work. An interesting fact here is that Robbins, again, the choreographer, he was fired from the production about 45 days in because he was 20-something days behind schedule already. Uh, <laughs> the good news is that he'd already filmed most of the dance numbers at that point. And they brought him back to do some of the editing because it was in his contract. I would mention Robert Wise. I believe he also did the editing for Citizen Kane. So he's very accomplished. I mean, so is Jerome Robbins. The screenplay was done by Ernest Lehman. This is where it gets complicated. So West Side Story, con- conceived by Jerome Robbins as a modern adaptation of William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. As a side note, Romeo and Juliet itself was adapted from a, from a poem. The script was done by Arthur Lawrence. The music was done by Leonard Bernstein. And the lyrics were done by Stephen Sondheim. 
stacked production house, I guess. I think at the time, both Bernstein and Sodenheim were like 25. Nothing makes me feel worse than finding finding out a 25-year-old did this play. <laughs> like, There's the music for the play, yeah. Okay, it's like, oh, my career's really not taking off. Uh, <laughs> John, I want to play a game. Okay. And this game is... Uh, Stabby Stab? <laughs> Guns. <laughs> Guns. Knives. Bricks. <laughs> Rocks. We're going to get to that. Uh, so this game is was the best Willie S adaptation. <laughs> okay. Do you do you want me to give you some, or are you going to pull one out of your head? Because I have some in the script so, that you can just. So, so you're saying like what Shakespeare? Are we what Shakespeare adaptation is the best? Yeah. Okay. So like someone who has taken something and made another version of it. Yes. Uh, so I I'm not even sure I know that many. I guess you could say I think Ten Things I Hate About You is based on Taming of a Shrew. It, it is definitely one of them. I don't remember it's that one. What are the other ones we have? You know, one thing I actually have sitting in my collection that I have not watched yet is Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. It's like two side characters from Romeo and Juliet. They have their own narrative created about them. It's like an indie film from the 90s with Gary Oldman, I believe. Oh, so you actually have a list of things that I'm supposed to... No, no, no. I was just guessing if you'd add some to it. But I have a list if you want to look at them and, and tell me which one you think's best. Okay, sure. Like, yeah, you want to okay. show me the list? So we have Lion King, West Side Story, 10 Things I Hate About You, and She's the Man. Other ones that are not on this list that you might want to throw in there. My private, my own private Idaho is one. And then then the rest escape me. But these are the ones that I think are probably the most popular. So, like, the Lion King is, um, what, like, Othello or something like that? Hamlet. Or Hamlet. Okay. I'm not really that big of a Shakespeare fan, at least the source material, that I'm like, well, that's sort of boring. <laughs> yeah we've talked about this before it's really the language since we last talked about shakespeare and this is i think this is really funny i was trying to find contemporary reviews of shakespeare's plays they were generally considered average <laughs> they're like it's fine <laughs> so i'm going to answer the question uh i think lion king is the best adaptation okay i don't have strong opinions about this so i'll agree with you no great perfect everyone go out and watch lion king uh, <laughs> Simba. <laughs> Simba. Watch the watch the animated one. I'll say that. Not the remake. <laughs> animated. Animated Lion King. Uh, so West Side Story went up against The Hustler, Fanny, The Guns of Navarone, Judgment at Nuremberg. John, have you seen any of these movies, and what are your thoughts? So I could not actually find The Judgment at Nuremberg streaming anywhere, so I didn't get to watch it. I don't know why that one is hard to track down. I watched The Guns of Navarone, and... Um, Honestly, I don't know why that's a popular movie. <laughs> did you see that one, Dave? I did. I watched it. I like it. It's slow, though. The build-up, it's like an hour before anything happens. There's been a lot of movies that are like this that have come out since then, and maybe this is the first of its kind. It's basically, you know, this team of crackpot infiltrators go in to destroy a Nazi gun so that they can invade Italy. And it's entirely fictional. I don't quite know why it was popular. Fanny... I watched the trailer. It's an early Leslie Caron movie, and we covered her in um, Gigi. Mm-hmm. So she was a French actress who kind of barely spoke English at the time. And this is a few years later, so I think her English is better. But I was kind of like, no, I'm not going to put myself through a three-hour movie <laughs> of that. And then The Hustler, man, is that a depressing movie. Oh, and yeah. it's really long. Yeah. 
I've, I, so I saw The Judgment of Our Own and The Hustler. Those are the two I watched for this. Uh, generally, those are considered the, the major um, competition for West Side Story. Um, and just to get this out there, like, like West Side Story dropped and everyone's like, okay, this one's the best picture. This race was not exciting. For a while, it was Guns Never Own. They're like, well, this is good. It's action-y. There's, it's really difficult to put this together. Hustler came out. Everyone loved the acting. And then West Side Story dropped. They're like, done, over. <laughs> I, I think West Side Story, I would say, is by far the best of these. Yeah, same. Yeah. And I, I also had a hard time finding judgment, and I wasn't going to watch Fanny. Um, this was one of those years where like all the movies are really long. I literally can't do this. Um, too much time. No. no. So did the Academy make the right choice? I guess. I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. I would say the biggest snub of this year was Breakfast at Tiffany's. You know, people like that movie. People love that movie, yeah. Okay, so in terms of nominations, West Side Story got 11 and it won 10. And I actually think it's probably easier to say what it didn't win. <laughs> it didn't win Best Screenplay based on material from another medium. That went to Judgment. And that was it. Everything they basically racked up everything else. Well, it didn't win Best Actress either, did it? Best Actress? No, I don't believe it won Best Actress. But won Best Supporting Actress, right? Or Best Actor either. So it, it kind of missed out on some of the big acting roles. All the technical awards it cleaned up on. Yeah. Honestly, I after watching this movie twice, I understand why it didn't win Best Actor and Best Actress. They are the weakest part of the film. Not that they're bad, but they are definitely not great. <laughs> Uh, we'll get into that. There's some moments I really think like the acting comes through in some of the dramatic moments. Okay. Uh, so the top grossing movie of the year, and again, we say this every time we get one of these older movies, it's um, difficult to track down. Uh, but from everything I read, it really seems like it's West Side Story, followed by Guns of Navarone, and then the movie called El Cid, which chronicles the story of a fabled Spanish hero, Rodrigo Diaz de Oh man, can you help me with this? And you actually Vivar Rodrigo uh, Diaz de Vivar. Yeah, I don't know who that is, but maybe we should watch that movie. Nope. Uh-uh. Charlton Heston, another three and a half hour epic. Not happening. Uh-uh. <laughs> Charlton uh, Heston plays this guy. Yeah. Remember, this is back in the period where um, no one cared about authenticity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, it was West Side Story. Some other movies that came out this year that people might know: The Parent Trap. 101 Dalmatians, Yojimbo, and The Innocents. 101 Dalmatians has made the most money out of all these, I would say. Um, but again, it's West Side Story who was the, the top grocer of the year. If you're a first-time listener, you should know that we eat movie-themed hot dogs while watching these movies. David, how's your hot dog dressed on the red carpet this evening? We're going to do this normal, but add a little twist to it. So I'm going to take a jet dog. Are we going to snap as we do this, Dave? Yeah, well... Well, let's save the snap discussion because I, I have okay. a bit. Uh, <laughs> and you're going to take the shark dog. So okay. what that what does that actually mean? My hot dog is bagel based. <laughs> because it... You're sticking with the, I am a first generation New Yorker. I'm a jet. So like, that's what, that's your theme. Is that what you're going for? I mean, basically I was like, oh, I need to make a hot dog that's New York. And what's more New York than... Bagels. Yeah, I mean, I mean I've had bagels all over the place. New York bagels are the best bagels. I don't understand why. They just are. Is the cream cheese shortage over? Uh, I think so. I haven't checked. <laughs> okay. I mean, I got I got a bagel this morning, and I had cream cheese, so I hope so. <laughs> so my first idea was I was going to just get an everything bagel with cream cheese on it and then put a hot dog on it. And I was like, you know what? That's not cool. 
So I got a normal hot dog, put cream cheese on it, and then I topped it with everything bagel seasoning, which I highly recommend. I love that stuff. It's a lot, right? So it's very rich. I would recommend cutting it with some type of acid. If I like tomatoes, I would have put tomatoes on it. Generally, it was okay. I, I would go I would go light on the cream cheese, um, but I, I thought it was a pretty good hot dog. All right. What do you have? So the sharks are from Puerto Rico, and I looked at like what a Puerto Rican hot dog is. It's a Boracua hot dog. And basically, it's a chili dog with sauerkraut, ketchup, mustard, cheese whiz, and potato sticks. I did not make that because I don't have many of those ingredients at home. But I think it looks really interesting, and maybe at some point I will when I find cheese whiz in the store. <laughs> That's the only thing you don't have? You definitely have potato chips? We, we, <laughs> we don't have potato sticks either, or sauerkraut. <laughs> but I think, you know, like, it sounds interesting. I, I'd try it. It sounds like it's too much, in my opinion, but I'd still try it. Yeah, it does sound like too much too much for me, too. I'm not really a fan of potato sticks, but it's probably on there to add for add textural variety, so I guess I, I get like it. potato sticks. I don't know how I'd feel about those on my hot dog, because when we put potato chips on the hot dog, I did not like the texture. It, it cut the top of your mouth, right? <laughs> That's not what you want in a hot dog. That's all I got to say. You don't want a crunchy hot dog. Uh, so these are pretty good. I'm actually surprised by the Boracoa hot dog. The sauerkraut is really what threw me off, but hey. Hey. When you try it, you let me know. Yeah, when we go to Puerto Rico, apparently it's sold on like every street corner. It's if, you know, like if there's a hot dog cart, they're going to sell a hot dog in that fashion there. Well, ev- everywhere has their own hot dog. That's the one thing I've learned since doing this this podcast. <laughs> every place in the world. Let's dive into some actor facts. So we are going to start with Natalie Wood, and she played Maria in West Side Story. Now, a lot has been written about Natalie in the last... 50 years. She is a very well-known international star. Because there's been so much written about her, I'm only going to touch on the highlights of her career. We are not going to dwell on this. This is not a murder show podcast. We're just going to briefly talk about it. Just setting the stage here, uh, Wood was an internationally famous actress. I was trying to figure out who she would be comparable to today, and I was having a really, really hard time on it. A podcast I was listening to recently about her compared her to Jennifer Aniston. And I actually think that's not a great comparison. I think she's probably more popular than. Uh, did you find the same thing, John? I did not look to see, you know, who she compared to. It's interesting just to know that she started acting from a very young age and basically was successful from the time she started. Yeah, she she had a bit part at four, and then her first real movie was Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, and she was eight years old at old at a time. And then some movies that I I think everyone would know her from. So Rebel Without a Cause was her like first adult role. She was 16 at that point. Side note here, she was 16 and she was in a relationship with a director who was 40. So super creepy there. Other movies you might want to might know her from: The Searchers, uh, Splendor in the Grass, and then Love with the Proper Stranger. She was also in the TV remake of From Here to Eternity. We covered the movie on the podcast. And she's really known for being nominated for three Oscars before she was 25. That's was the youngest at the time. That, that's since been broken, I believe, by, I struggle with this woman's name, Saoirse Ronan. Saoirse Ronan? Yeah, she, I think she had like three nominations before she was 22. The long and short here is, is that Natalie Wood, very talented, very, very well-known actress. Some other things you need to know about her. In 1966... She was given the Harvard Lampoon Award for being the worst actress of the last year, this year, next year, which is an amazing title. 
<laughs> and then she actually showed up to uh, get that award. John, would you show up to get it? It depends on who's giving it, but for something like this, you could probably show up and have a good time. I, it just reminds me of when Halle Berry showed up to get her Razzie for Catwoman. Sometimes you just know. <laughs> I, that's a terrible movie, and she knows. And I remember reading the the quote she had. She's like, someone's giving me an award. I'm showing up to get it. And I was like, good for you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> so things you need to know about her in West Side Story. So Natalie sang all her parts in the movie, and she thought her voice was going to be used, and it turned out that it was not, and they used someone else to dub over her voice. She could sing. Uh, she just wasn't as strong at it as they want, wanted. She did practice very hard and had like a voice coach and like worked very hard to to sing her part. But when you hear it, you realize there is a good reason they had someone else do it. She's just not strong enough. Like she's like talented, but not like a superstar. There's some notes she can't quite hit. And when you hear like the recorded version, you're like, oh, yes. OK, now I understand why like they sort of replaced her. So I think in her contract... They were going to give her a shot to, to do the singing, <laughs> and ultimately it was the decision of uh, the director. They didn't tell her. They just did it. That has to be brutal, right? You show up to the show, and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> it's a musical. I'm going to quickly talk about her death. I think she might be really well known for that and maybe in our generation. She died in 1981 at the age of 43. She died under what we're going to call mysterious circumstances. So she drowned. At the time, she was married to Roger Wagner. He's a well-known TV actor. Essentially, she disappeared off the back of their boat. A lot of people think that Robert Wagner potentially had something to do with her death. I don't want to get like too far into that other than to say, like, I've read a lot about this. If he did it, I don't know. But I think he knows more than he's saying. Could be. Uh, they had a not strong relationship. Eyewitnesses reports are talking about how he had he and her had gotten into an argument that night. Christopher Walken was there, and it was basically over Roger thought that Natalie was flirting with Christopher Walken. Uh, no, only person who knows what happened is really her, and she can't say anything. There's been so much media produced about this one incident. I don't know. I have my own theories, but I, I don't want to talk about it on the podcast too much. Next up is Richard Bamer, and he plays Tony. Bamer was an actor and filmmaker who was probably best known for this role. He also played Ben Horn in the television series Twin Peaks. I was actually shocked about that. I did not recognize him. Again, it was like 30 years later, but I, I didn't tell the, couldn't tell. He, he's also done a ton of TV work. Like basically any popular TV show, he was on it at some point. In 1964, Bamer traveled to Mississippi to volunteer in the civil rights movement during Freedom Summer. And he ended up making a documentary of the summer titled A Regular Bouquet, Mississippi Summer. Bamer told the LA Times that he didn't like his performance in West Side Story and that he wanted to play the character rougher and tougher. John, what do you think about that? I think the choreographer was a ballet choreographer. When there are fight scenes, it's a ballet fight scene and it's hilariously not tough. <laughs> yeah, I actually really love the choreography all the way through. And, but in terms of him saying like he thought he could play the character tougher, I 100% agree on that. I never got the impression that Tony supposed to have this wide legend about him. He just seemed like sort of a nice, easygoing guy. He had a past that we never got into. And this is the final thing about Baymer. But in everything that I did read about him is that he met Sharon Tate when she was a teen. And then he ended up encouraging her to go into acting, which is pretty cool because Sharon Tate was pretty famous. She the person who was murdered yes. at the Manson thing? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's his fault. It's No, it's not his fault. 
So, so let's get into Rita Moreno and she played Anita. She did sing her own parts other than like one little bit. She's a Puerto Rican born American actress, dancer, and singer. There was a documentary on her on Netflix. I recommend checking it out. And she is known for just a ton of stuff. So she has a supporting role in Singing in the Rain, The King and I. And she was also in The Electric Company. And she voiced the titular role of Carmen Sandiego in Where is Where on... Wait, is it Where on Earth is Carmen Sandiego? I thought it was Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego. I mean, who wrote these notes? It's No, it's it's Where on Earth. <laughs> where on Earth is Carmen Sandiego? Well, that's not how the song went. Tell me where in the world is Carmen Sandiego. No, no, it's not. But there's the, the game show, which is Where in the World, and then the TV show is Where on Earth. Oh, okay. I'll say <laughs> Very <All> confusing. Right. <laughs> So I never watched The Electric Company. It was before my time. That, you know, in, in Goonies, where Sloth goes, Hey, you guys! That is a reference to The Electric Company. It's the show's catchphrase, which is shouted by Moreno. Hey, you guys! I had no idea. I mean, did you ever watch The Electric Company? Do you even know what it is? I do, uh, but not really. Because again, just before our time. Moreno is also an EGOT winner. One of maybe two dozen people to have this. So she has two Emmys. She has a Grammy. She has a Best Actress in a Supporting Role for West Side Story and Best Feature or Actress in a Play. Extremely, extremely talented. In 1961, Moreno attempted suicide. She had a really tumultuous relationship with Marlon Brando. And she also was having trouble with her career at that time. After West Side Story, she basically stopped making movies for seven years. She was tired of being stereotyped. During this time, she she did keep working, but she was mostly on stage, uh, and she would appear at nightclubs and do guest spots on television. She was like, Hollywood, you're not giving me good roles. Like, you're trying to stereotype me, and so I'm just going to do anything else. Maybe part of the reason she was stereotyped was this role. As far as I know, and I could be wrong about this, she's basically the only Puerto Rican playing a Puerto Rican in this movie. As far as I know, yes. And they also made her darken her skin to do it as well. Yeah. Yeah, which is is problem extremely problematic. But from what I understand, like she had she had a long career before this, and mm-hmm. they always made her darker skin. She always played an exotic character, and it wasn't good roles. And then she thought that after this movie came out, where she won an Oscar, right? Everyone loves her in this movie. She was going to continue to get better roles, and they didn't give it to her. And she's like, "I'm done with this. Like, I'm not going to play, you know, a stereotype on screen." So she did other stuff. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, totally makes sense. Brave too. That wraps up the production facts and actor facts. All right, so we have a little historical context, and I think we both read a little bit about this. I heard in the commentary of the film that someone was like, I want to remake Romeo and Juliet in a contemporary setting. They heard some stories in the news about these gang wars that were happening in certain cities. I think when he learned that there was uh, Latino gangs, that was something that interested him because he liked Latino music. Yeah. What did you get out of this, Dave? Yeah, so I read, it was a three-paragraph article that described a gang fight outside of a dance, and the gangs were the raiders and the bullies, and a teen actually died. And that's how they came up with the nugget that led to all this. There were gangs present in New York and L.A., and when we say gangs, that has a different connotation then than it does now. So these youth gangs, they weren't out there selling drugs. They were really fighting over turf land right like we own this this area and women and i would say that these i know it's a weird thing to say I, I, okay. I, there's no better way to say it that's just the way it was described these gangs were super organized john 
they had titles like president, vice president, and war counselor, and they had like rituals you to go through. That's seen in West Side Story when they're like setting up the rumble. All that is real. <laughs> like you, they, they actually went and did these things to go have fights. I thought it was all made up. Yeah, well, they had to coordinate dances and outfits. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're dancing on the playground today. You come tomorrow. <laughs> I looked up some real New York gangs from the 50s, and here are the names I got, all right? We got the Dukes. We got the Lords. We got the Assassins. All right, pretty strong, right? (laughs) We got got the Enchanters. Not as strong. Someone someone come at me and said, I'm an Enchanter. I'm like, lame. The Forsyth Boys. That's the weakest. No, is it? Like, I think the Enchanters is the weakest. Uh, No, this is like someone's last name. That's that's an area, a street. We had a substitute teacher... In high school, Forsyth, Mr. Forsyth. <laughs> and, and were you the Forsyth boys? Yeah, uh, I guess so. <laughs> got Condors? Okay, I'm not, I'm not. That could be better, it could be worse. The Egyptian Crowns. It feels like it's a little bit out of nowhere, but, you know, it sounds cool. It's like kind of fun, I guess. Yeah, yeah Sinners, meh, kind of lame. John, I gotta ask you, what would your gang be? What was your gang name? Man, we're in a gang, Dave. <laughs> You're gonna be the Wiener Boys? <laughs> That's not. I don't. I don't want to use that name. Our breakfast burrito boys. <laughs> I would let breakfast burrito gang. The long boys. I think that'd be pretty fun for hot dog reference. But really, I guess it is the breakfast burrito boys. That's just the name of our text message thread with a few other people. I think. I think it came out of like Isaac and I were just driving across the country on a road trip, and like breakfast burritos were a thing that were eaten many a day. What would mine be? I was thinking something like aces. Like something to do with cards? I would say you'd be the knapsack gang. Oh, the... All right, so the story behind this is I was walking down the street one time, and this car rolled up to me and yelled, nice knapsack, pansy, and then sped off. <laughs> I still I still feel very, like, confused about what happened there and why. <laughs> it's Dave, the, Dave was the wearing, like, language. a shoulder bag or something. Yeah, I just had a shoulder bag. I was just walking to class. I don't... I did not understand it. I still don't understand it. <laughs> I imagine it's just a bunch of theater majors bullies because <laughs> like the use of the word knapsack is such a odd choice <laughs> maybe they were just jealous of your knapsack it was not a great knapsack it was from old navy <laughs> it's just like on sale ten dollar bag that i put some books in and some pens and walked off <laughs> but uh yeah that is gangs of new york but not the movie <laughs> you ready to do the movie recap you ready to rumble yeah i'm ready to rumble by the way rumbles were real Later on, then the gangs would send in a covert crew of like three or four to go beat up a lone gang member, a rival, and then leave. <laughs> so, I mean, this just turned into the gang warfare of today, basically. Uh, yeah, I guess so, yeah. You can talk about gangs in King Richard? <laughs> yeah. Um, that's true. They are in gang King Richard. The gangs weren't doing this for drugs, right? And actually, if a member was addicted to drugs they would be teased mercilessly basically ostracized because what came to a rumble you couldn't count on a druggie we're getting a giant fight we need all people on deck you're off not being able to function you can't be in part of the rumble too bad they it kept being called a productive member of a gang that's the language that was used in the article i read it makes it sound like a product are you a productive member of this gang john let's get into some gang talk okay well, i've got some more for you in a minute here For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world on HBO Pay-Per-View, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! 
movie, West Side Story, 1961. We start out with a five-minute overture, followed by 90 more seconds of overhead shots of New York City. Dave, how do you feel about that as an intro to a movie, that just like six minutes and 30 seconds of nothing but music? Lame. We've talked about this previously. I'm not a fan of overtures. I don't want a preview of the music I'm going to hear. I just want to hear the music. Because there's also an intermission in the film. I think this is a holdover from it being a play. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Probably doesn't make sense in this format unless you have people who are real theater buffs and want that. It's a lot of fluff. Again, we're in the 1950s. There's two rival gangs that are competing for control of an Upper West Side New York City neighborhood. The opening musical number of the film is basically the Jets and Sharks going back and forth against each other. It's like some fight scenes, graffiti writing. We get introduced to the Jets, who are sort of first-generation Americans gang, and the Sharks, who are a gang of Puerto Rican immigrants. And before this brawl gets out of hand, the police break it up. Neither side likes the cops, and when the cops ask who started what, they say nothing. Why do we think these gangs don't get along? It's really unclear. This is the culture they have. Is they have this gang, and they want to protect their turf. Why do they want to protect that turf? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's basically othering. They're not part of the Jets, so they're like the others. They have like a lot in common, so they don't get along with the police. The police seem to harass them. Neither seems to be able to get jobs. Part of it seems due to their ethnicity. They're really just trying to find the American dream, and they're struggling doing it. The only difference is, like, one, they've been in America for a generation, the other one, brand new. Some of the Puerto Ricans have jobs, but they're paid less than the Americans. That's This scene, for me, is, I'm going to call it daring. You're in a musical, and the first 20 minutes, it's no singing. It's just snapping and dancing. That's pretty shocking. I think it is in a movie. I don't think it is in stage production. I still think this is like a holdover. This is why I'm interested to see Spielberg's version. There's been a good bit of time since cinema and the theater have separated from each other. So they know the language of the medium better. He's going to have a contemporary take on how to do these things. The opening scene is also meant to show how tough these gangs are. Dave, do you think that works? No. So that's sort of a weakness of the entire movie with me is that I don't really think the gangs are particularly tough. I know that you dislike the ballet. Like, I think I just have a different mindset than you with it. The choreography, I think the dancing choreography is fine. But when you get to these fight scenes, you don't hire a ballet choreographer for a fight scene. You hire a stunt coordinator. And it's just funny to me to watch these guys like spin and do ballet moves around each other in like mock fighting. When if you wanted to look tough, I'd probably say like, let's actually get a real choreographer to do that. You could probably even do it in time to the music. And maybe I'm just looking at it through like more of a contemporary modern lens. Mm. I think if you did a different style of dance, you could make it stronger and more masculine if that's what you're going for. But the ballet fighting does not make sense to me. It does not seem like how a fight goes. And then there's also the scene where they're like passing a basketball around, they which just, cracks me up so much. Cause it's like, these guys have never played sports in their life. <laughs> like it is hilarious. These are athletes, but they, they never played basketball in their life. So. <laughs> I'm not saying they're not in shape. Cause there's a lot of physicality to the movie, but basketball is not a thing. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I saw that too. Are you asking for John Wick West side story? <laughs> to see Spielberg's take on it because I, I don't think you would use ballet dancing in fight scenes. You could use capoeira. You could use a whole lot of other things. It, it just does not seem to make sense to me. 
you know, again, they're limited by the the art of the day. And we probably didn't have as much of the contemporary dancing as we do now, which I think would lend itself better to the fight scenes. So cool. it'd be a different style of dance or a different type, type of choreography. That That's my opinion on this. It's kind of a retrospective. We're looking back at this and I'm just seeing how it could be done differently or better at this point. They're known as the Jets and the Sharks. Uh, I think Jets is a terrible game name. And and in realistically, they should probably be named like the Whistlers or the Snappers, which are also terrible. But they do more whistling and snapping than they do jetting. <laughs> I, I mean, I they just kind of picked the name. So originally it was supposed to be like, I read this somewhere and I couldn't track down the sources. So when I say this, to take it with a grain of salt. Apparently, like in early drafts, they were supposed to be like aviation themed. And that's where the jets came from. And it just sort of stuck. You know, New York City has a bunch of airports. The Upper West Side is like one of the places without an airport. <laughs> you consider Newark the closest one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, didn't you you asked me over text the other day, like, like, are the Jets named after um, this movie? And I, the football team, yeah, the the NFL Jets, right? right. No, they're not. <laughs> Jets rhymes with Mets, and the Mets also played at the same stadium as the Jets, so that's like one which reason. Are, which are next to major airports? So. Yeah, so that's how they came up with that. Everyone has a, a crazy name in this movie. Dave, we're going to play this game. We're going to play this game. You want to play that now? The name of the gang members are like pretty silly. I've pulled a couple out and, and Dave, I'm just going to ask you like which ones are actual members of the Sharks. We'll start off with that. Okay. But maybe you know, because maybe you already looked at all this. No, I didn't look at any of the names. No. Dave, which one of the following are Sharks? Sharks. Uh, we have, oh, I only know two Sharks. So Mucho, <laughs> Loco. Burrow and Jose. Definitely Loco. Loco? Okay. Yeah. That's it. That's not none of the other ones. Okay, you're right. So that oh, Loco okay. is, is one. I think the other names are it's Bernardo Pepe, Chino, Rocco, Indio, Juano, Luis, Toro, Del Campo, and Chile. So I didn't realize there were that many of them. There are a bunch of them. Okay, okay so Jets. Which of the following are Jets? Arab, Flex, Dino, and Joyboy. I mean, Arab, and I don't think that anyone, the rest of them are, are. So I know there's Arab, Baby John, Action Boy, Ice, and then I start getting lost. Anybody, yeah. I guess. So, so Arab is one of them. Joy Boy is actually one of them also. And again, the names are Riff, Ice, Action, Arab, Baby John, Snowboy, Tiger, Joy Boy, Big Deal, Guitar, and Mouthpiece. And then <laughs> if you want to count the other one, anybody's. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> I don't know where the names come from. They're kind of ridiculous. Those are the names of the gang. Members. I mean, when you go into a gang, you get a new name. So now we have to create our own names, John. Mouthpiece is a good one. Mouthpiece is a good one. Yeah, that's true. That's true. If I had a gang name, I guess I'm going to go with the expensive pork chop. Okay. <laughs> pork chop. Not lineup. Line lineup's great. That's a good one, John. You going to be lineup? <laughs> uh, no, because I think that is actually your nickname. Okay, line up. All right, we'll call it. We'll go for there. Getting into a little bit more of this, I think there's some design elements for each of the gangs. So mm -hmm. the Sharks all have this leather cuff on one of their arms and Converse All-Stars. Dave, I remember you had a leather cuff for a while. You might be a Shark. Well, I mean, they're the more interesting of the two gangs. After this like gang dance introduction, we focus in on Riff, who's the Jets leader. He determines that uh, the only way to end this turf war is to have a rumble. Whoever loses has to take a hike. I don't even understand like why that's a thing, because I think they live there. 
Yeah, I was very confused about that too. It's like, oh, you can't live here anymore? Like this isn't this this is not gonna work, is what I kept thinking. So their plan is to challenge the sharks to a rumble at the dance that's happening later that night. There's a young woman who's in the gang, she's kind of a tomboy. Her name is anybody's. What is her story and what purpose does she serve in the movie? Because I cannot figure that out. Uh, I'm not sure either. It seems like the writer got infatuated with this character because you could have easy cut her and not lose anything. She even has a mini story arc. It's like she's not part of the gang and then she does something and becomes part of the gang. I knew you were going to ask this question and I, I kept thinking about it. And the one thing I kept thinking was like, are they trying to say something about the gang perpetuating itself? Like, it doesn't matter if these people die. Like, like it's going to keep repopulating. I wonder if this is like one of those subtle nods that people wouldn't have gotten at the time, but it's actually sort of a gay-friendly story character. That's a good, that's that's definitely one interpretation. It's an interesting interpretation. I think the other thing is like, as a non-gang member, she's the only person that could sneak into the shark's territory and and get some info that is then revealed later in the movie. She's a non-gang member who's also in the rumble at the beginning. So like, how non-gang member is she? (laughs) She just shows up. Yeah. She's like, oh, there's a fight. Why are you here? Yeah. (laughs) I, I, we're making fun of anybody's a little bit here, but I actually really like the character, but I don't understand why she's in it. So I don't either. And then they talk about zip guns, and I, I looked this up just to see, like, what is a zip gun? It's basically just a, a fabricated gun, not made by a manufacturer. So something you make in your house. I think that the modern equivalent would be a ghost gun, and those are, like, guns that are created with 3D printers or some kind of, you know, like, metal machining that you do at home. So it's like things that exist outside of uh, typical tracking of gun ownership. Okay. Yeah. And I, I was reading a little bit about it. They didn't work. <laughs> and dangerous. Probably dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Explode in your hand, misfire, you know. like. Uh, so no zip guns uh, in our gang, John. Just laser tag for us, Dave. I think um, let's get back to this. So Riff, who's the leader of the Jets, wants Tony, his best friend, to back them up in the fight. Tony has kind of drifted away from the gang. He actually has a job now. It seems like he's thinking beyond the relatively small world of these teenagers. And I think that's just an interesting theme with the movie generally is like very focused on this small territory. None of them have ever left, but it's basically they have a very small worldview. Yeah. I mean, they're also teens and they have no resources and no money. So they, they don't yet realize that there are way more important things than high school or the gang. Yeah. Well, well, let's just be honest here. They could leave their turf and get beat up by bigger gangs. (laughs) Okay, so the Jet song. Dave, when you're a Jet, you're you're always a Jet, jet, from your first cigarette to your last dying breath. Cigarettes and death. Interesting connection there. (laughs) Do you like this song? I think all the songs are very catchy. Some of them I don't like as much. I think I like this song. What about you? I like the song. I, I agree. I think they're all pretty catchy. This is up near the top of my list of songs on this. Riff visits Tony at this grocery store and talks him into going to the dance. I don't think he ever says that this rumble's going down, but I think Riff's idea is that if Tony sees this conflict, he'll want to step in. Probably. And then Tony goes on to talk about something's coming. He doesn't know what. It's the song that he sings of like he's got this feeling that something's going to happen the most teenager thing ever i am special something's gonna happen to me (laughs) well what is it i don't know when's it gonna happen i don't know the question i have for you dave do you ever get excited by nothing no never (laughs) i know that's kind of how i feel about that and then i learned about this recently there's something in linguistics called comparative illusions uh aka asher sentences 
I wonder if the song is actually one of these things. And it's the idea that you're saying something that sounds acceptable, but on closer reflection has no well-formed meaning. And an example that is used frequently is more people have been to Russia than I have. Wait, what? (laughs) Exactly. It's a meaningless sentence. And I actually wonder about this song because a lot of the song is meaningless. You know, he's like, throw a ball, catch a one-handed catch of the moon or something like that. I actually think that this song might largely be comparative illusions where none of it actually makes sense. And upon closer reflection, it doesn't mean anything. Are you saying our entire podcast is an Esser sentence? No. (laughs) Well, hopefully we have some point to what we're talking about, but I'm pretty confident that parts of the song are these Escher sentences. And Escher is that artist who has those crazy stares that they go up and down and sideways and different things. You can't always tell which direction they're going. They're illusions and they can't actually exist because, you know, it's not possible for something like that to be created in a 3D space. I've heard the music referred to that you don't really understand it as tone poems. You get emotion out of it, but it doesn't really mean anything. Or it means something on an emotional level, but not on a logical level. And maybe that's the purpose of this. They're trying to give you a feeling, but boy, do those sentences not make sense. And so the feeling is, I know something's up. I'm guaranteed for bigger and better. Yeah, I think he's excited about the possibilities of life. But what are they? He doesn't know. Because <laughs> he's a teen. He's never left, never left his, his turf. I have just one little note here. I really like the way that Riff and Tony greet themselves. Birth to earth, sperm to worm. No. They say womb to tomb. Yeah, and I guess my note is here is like there are subtle differences between the movie and the play, and they wanted to make the movie more PG so they can distribute it larger. And this is like one of the things that was changed from birth to earth. The original line was sperm to worm, <laughs> which is better. Oh, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. It's like some small things here and there they want to change. You know, this is a business. They basically say like fucking several times. Like he's like, we basically curse without cursing in the movie. <laughs> they do that quite a bit what do they call that slang wacko jacko <laughs> like minced oath i think is the the word for taking a swear word and making it pg okay <laughs> disnifying it <laughs> yeah i think i think it's called a minced oath i could be wrong i'm learning all bits of facts today like you really went d- deep into this you just make it up like frack basically that those are the words that they toss in there it sounds like it but it's not they're like we wanted to toughen it up so we threw that kind of dialogue in there speaking of the weird jargon and slang they they made up a bunch of it because they thought if they use real slang it would, <laughs> it would date it's it does it's it does really bad yeah I'm no jazz say. until the rumble <laughs> okay a rab <laughs> yeah. so after that we meet maria again natalie wood who is the sister of the sharks leader She's also preparing to go to this dance. We have these two characters who are tertiarily related to the gangs. We have Maria, we have Tony. That is where the conflict's going to happen, and we already we can see this happening. We go to the dance that night. Tensions run high as the Jets and Sharks dance off. Actually, I like the music here. It's sort of this mambo music. My understanding is that Bernstein spent several months in Miami or Key West. He could actually hear Cuban radio channels from where he was staying. And he heard this kind of music and he's like, man, I really want to write something like this. And that's how he got this piece. So John, did the Sharks or the Jets win this (laughs) dance-off? There are no winners in this, Dave. No, there is. There is a winner in this dance-off, John. Okay, tell me, Dave, who won the dance-off? Sharks, 100%. (laughs) Jets, they're they're okay. Don't get me wrong. They lost me with the 
they have like a head bop moment and i was like i'm done you've lost <laughs> at the dance we do see the tensions as the two groups collide sometimes on the dance floor sometimes literally sometimes not so literally and they basically separate onto different sides of the room you can tell the dance organizer sees this and is trying to do things to bridge that gap there's actually a police officer there gangs have kind of agreed that this is neutral territory in this dance they have this like mixer where you're supposed to sort of wag and wheel around in a circle and when the music stops you then have to dance with the person across from you i think this is where tony and maria connect they kind of see each other it is definitely that moment in film where everything else fades into the background it's only the two of them on the dance floor and they fall in lust so glad you mentioned that i'm so glad you mentioned that i struggle with the story of west side story because i don't believe in love at first sight seeing literally what a 16 year old and an 18 year old like see each other literally like fall in love i don't buy it ever like i don't think it's ever gonna happen well they're attracted to each other they are definitely attracted to each other don't get me wrong <laughs> i think that's what it is but to say that they're in love which is the word that they use is a bit much but again they're kids and they don't know what they want <laughs> they don't know what they want i mean they don't know what they're doing they even kiss then a few minutes of eating each other and then Bernardo, leader of the Sharks, sees his sister Maria dancing with this white kid, knows that this guy's loosely affiliated with the Jets. It almost turns into a fight. Bernardo sends his sister home and then makes some aggressive moves towards Tony. One of the subplots of the movie, and you see this here, it's very subtle. I don't think they get into this very much, is Chino is the Puerto Rican who Maria is supposed to be with. He takes her to the dance, I believe. She talks about not being into him earlier. You kind of see him lurking in the background of a lot of these things, and he's like the scorned lover. He likes Maria, but it's not mutual. I'm seeding this plot point because I think it matters later. Yeah, it does matter because he feels like he just pops up later in the movie. <laughs> the guy playing Tony and the actress playing Maria, so that's Wooden and Bamer, they did not get along off of camera. So basically, cameras started rolling, pretend to be in love, and then cameras off. They basically avoided each other on the set. I mean, Bamer said that was, he thinks it's related to like, him beating out her boyfriend for a part earlier. I don't think they were ever overtly mean to each other. I never heard a story like that, but they just kind of avoided each they other. They were professionals. Otherwise. Yeah. They did their job. Yeah. Okay. Riff then challenges Bernardo to a rumble. They agree to meet at Doc's pharmacy. That's where Tony works to hash out the details. After the dance, Tony sings about how infatuated he is with Maria. So this is the song, you know, Maria, I just met a girl named Maria. If I were a singer, I would memorize this song. And anytime I met anyone named Maria, I would sing this to them. Just because it would be fucking fantastic. It'd be weird for them, and I would love it. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be really weird for them, honestly. Yeah. Do you think they got this a lot? Do you think this is an original prank? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe it hasn't been done since the 1960s, but I, I think it's something that should be done more often. If you're a theater major, this is what 100% happened to you, right? <laughs> You're like, not this shit again. Maria, fuck. Why did my parents name me Maria? <laughs> Tangentially related to this, Dottenheim wrote a lot of the songs for Sound of Music, too. The main character there is also named Maria. So I think he just had some leftover Maria songs that he used for this one. <laughs> Are you joking or being serious? <laughs> I think I'm half joking, but I think he mentioned a couple of times there are some songs left over from some other musicals that he had written that he wanted to use and snuck them in here. Okay, okay. I don't know if that's the Maria connection, but there definitely it was mentioned that he wrote a song and it wasn't for this initially. He's economical. How do you solve a problem like Maria? How do you grab a cloud and pin it down? Or something? Yeah, well, I was thinking about the answer to this in the context of both this movie and Sound of Music. It only works if you're an older man and you have to seduce the younger woman. 
because <laughs> that's what happens in both movies. I actually think both those Marias are like they're young. Well, they're they're young, but they're also willful and strong characters. Can't do that to Marias in these movies. Like they're, yeah. which is interesting. So we can talk about this in a minute. But there's a song that's written about this Maria that the Sadenheim later said didn't quite make sense for the character. So we actually got a question about this, and this I think is yeah. a good way to, to pepper this in. Someone asked us, do we like this movie or Sound of Music better? I mean, they're very, very different. I actually think both of them are pretty good. I think this, ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, uh, I, I struggled with it too. I can I can go first if you want me to, so you can sure. think about it. Yeah, so I'm going to preface this saying that I like both of these movies. I think West Side Story has better choreography, but I like the Sound of Music better. They both have really catchy songs. I think the cinematography is very different because this one feels like a play and sound of music does not because they have more on location sets it's hard to say if the lonely goat herder or one of the songs here (laughs) got stuck in my head longer and maybe that's how i would choose what i like (laughs) i'll come back in a week and if i'm still humming west side story songs we'll know that maybe this is the the catchier one i'm gonna sabotage you john Mm -hmm. i'm gonna give you an earworm Okay. A deer, a female deer, Ray, a drop of golden sun. So in a week, you're going to have that in your head, and I'm we're going to side with me. <laughs> and you have one more note for this section. Yeah, so this is the dirtiest line out of context. When Tony like goes up to Maria's fire escape to see her, Maria says to him, come visit me at my store the following day. And, and she goes, Tony, when you come, use the back door. <laughs> yep i dirtiest laughed line in the movie it is 100 dirty or we're, we we are just dirty people <laughs> and he's like thank you for maria i will <laughs> that'll be in the next scene <laughs> in the next scene we have anita who is bernardo's girlfriend saying that she has the right to dance with whoever she pleases bernardo doesn't agree they start to argue then they start singing a song about living life in america the girls seem to like it a lot of the boys do not I actually think this is a really good song about the plight of the immigrant. So mm-hmm. they left home, which is very hard to do. All the things you know, family, other things are there. But you leave because opportunities aren't great. Like you need to go to this other place for jobs, stability, those kind of things. But it's really tough coming to a new country. The girls are saying that they like it. They have some things that they wouldn't have back home. It is a better quality of life. The boys are saying it's really hard here. Like we don't get along with a lot of the people we meet. Probably culturally, things are very different, and we see this sort of clash. I love this song. It's definitely my top three of the movie. Love Rita Moreno in it. It's a fun, fun song. I mean, I do know it's a little bit controversial because it stereotypes Puerto Ricans, and and some people don't like it. And I can see that, and I I, I agree there's some things that probably could be changed with it. But in terms of like dancing and choreography, it's, it's really up there for me. On the same night, the Jets wait for the Sharks to arrive at Doc's grocery store. They are visited by... Officer Crumpke, who warns them not to cause trouble. He was at the dance. He saw like the things that they are getting into. His partner in the car says, we got a 1013. And I looked up what that was because I was curious. It basically means adverse road conditions. <laughs> so somewhere in the city, there's like a water main break or like some kind of like pothole or something that they had to go look at. So I thought that was interesting that they left in a rush for that. Do you like this song? I like this song. I think it's really funny. I think it's like the perfect song for a punk band cover. It's actually been covered by some punk bands, so I found found that online. I, I think it's probably one of the funniest songs in the movie because it's talking about the system that they get shuffled through if the cops haul them in. So they go to like a head shrinker, they go to a social worker, and they get bounced around 
and the cops tell them not to do things or behave certain ways. And basically they don't have anyone on their side to help them get out of whatever situations they're in. And they always end up in jail. <laughs> and they always end up in jail. Can you explain to me or maybe help me understand the role of this song in the movie? It's catchy, but like, why is it here? I think it's just saying that the, the teens feel like they don't have a lot of options and that the system is failing them in many ways. The reality is like they're kind of looking for jobs and kind of looking for ways to get out of whatever situation they're in, but they don't seem to know how to do that. And the system doesn't provide that for them. They just bounce them through these different people and it's not a real solution. I think that's kind of what it's getting at. You know, how did you interpret that? I mean, I interpreted it as sort of interpreted that they don't under that the system doesn't understand the kids uh, and that they're saying to them, like, you have all these things wrong with you. But the kids are like, no, we just really like being part of this gang. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the gang is like a symptom of their situation and not necessarily the answer either. The gang is just like another part of the system. The gang is what's become of them because the system has failed them. Like they don't have an outlet for, for any positive growth. It seems like I'm not really sure they're in school or going to school or anything. It's, but it could be the summer. Yeah, I, it's a weekend. Like, I don't know. Could be yeah, anything. Hard to say. I think maybe you, that's that's interesting because there's a point where they say, like, they tell us to get outside, but we're not allowed to be outside. They're like, what are we supposed to do, right? It's like, well, our home lives are terrible. So, like, being at home is not necessarily good for them because... <laughs> like, it's like, you know, my parents smoke marijuana and all these other things. They don't really have a third place to hang out, which maybe is Doc's store, really. It's like kind of how they avoid getting into trouble is sometimes just hanging out there. Well, if any of our audience has an idea, you, you let us know. All right. So after the Sharks show up, they hash out the details for the Rumble. When it comes to weapon, neither, neither side backs down and it escalates to knives and different things. Then Tony shows up and says, y'all are a bunch of chickens, and that they should just have a fair fight. In a certain way, he de-escalates it from something that would probably be fatal to black eyes and you know busted knuckles. Maybe so. fatal. <laughs> and Bernardo accepts the agreement. They're going to have the best man in each group fight it out. Bernardo thinks it's going to be Tony, but Tony's like, I'm not even involved in this. I do not want to be. Well, what does that do, Dave? I think, you know, what does Bernardo accepts, but... Only when he thinks he's going to fight Tony because Tony likes his sister. That's really the only reason he accepts the one-on-one, -on -one, I think. This is a callback to earlier when I said I had a strategy for the weapons section. Okay. Here, they, they're trying to one-up each other, right? So, for example, mm. brick, and you would say... I don't know, rock or whatever. I don't know. what Blood pipe, and you, you would just say, like... Chains. Yeah. What if you just pick the weirdest stuff? So, like, get... Dodgeballs. <laughs> Fish heads. Pillows. And just like, just like completely make them like, what is wrong with this guy? Snowballs. Sack full of radishes. <laughs> what? The thing is, they're like, do they really want to mess with someone who's going to come with like, just the most bizarre weapons possible? I don't know. Pineapples. Yeah, pineapples could hurt, man. Um... <laughs> they could hurt. That's too, that's too strong, John. Too strong. <laughs> For us, it'd be like. Hot sauce. Chipotle burritos. We're going to have an eating contest. <laughs> All right. How many Chipotle burritos could you eat at once? I think I could do one and a half, but that would be about it. I don't know. What about you? I could definitely do one, but that is that is like the limit, my absolute limit. I think I'm comfortable at three-fourths of a burrito. But, th but that sucks. That sucks because then you have a fourth of a burrito and you're like, what do I do with this? This is like... You can eat that later. Yeah, yeah but it's mostly a snack. <laughs> like, it's not yeah, but that's fine. I mean, after you had like... 
1500 calories in that meal like a snack is all you need for the rest of the day so 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 what i'm hearing is when the breakfast burrito boys are challenged to a rumble we are going to go first with burritos as the weapon and, and then uh snowballs and then um <laughs> yes. we'll just work our way up from there <laughs> oh i really hope this gang's soft <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna like Counter Strike. <laughs> oh yeah, Counter Strike. Oh baby, <laughs> I'm terrible at that game. We gotta, we gotta find somebody who's really good at it. Uh, and you know what, John? You know what's next in this movie? Our intermission. The intermission. I effectively used this intermission. I'm gonna be honest. I was happy it came through. So we don't see intermissions a lot in movies. Again, I'm curious to see if Spielberg carries some of these things from the stage over into his version. I would hope not, because honestly. The movie's two and a half hours. You could cut the intermission. You could cut the you know the overture at the beginning. Save yourself ten minutes. I appreciated this the intermission. I know understand your your logic behind it, but I did go and make a cup of coffee in five minutes. Impressive. It's not even that long. It's like a ninety second. Yeah. yeah well, that's also another point. Like the intermission's not long enough to go to the bathroom and come back, especially if everyone's going out for the intermission. Like, so you cut it or like, get a good one. I can't remember what movie I saw in the theater. There's only one time I remember in my entire life there was an intermission in the movie. It was a Disney movie because the timer was like a Mickey Mouse watch, like pointing at how much time was left. Uh, so you had like 15 minutes to go out, get a snack, go to the bathroom and come back. There's one in The Hateful Eight. There's an actual intermission in the theater? Yeah. When I went and saw the film version of it, there was an intermission, which I thought was pretty cool. And then I also used it as on my second watch to break. Because this is like an hour and a half into the movie. So I was like, yeah, I'll just watch the rest tomorrow. All right. So back from the intermission, we're in the next day. Maria is at the bridal shop she works at. Or maybe she's a tailor, it seems. Something with clothes. She's in an unusually good mood. And the other girls notice this about her. She f- sings the song, I Feel Pretty. So this is what I was talking about earlier. Sodenheim said that he wanted to show he could write a song that rhymed. But looking back, he said this doesn't really fit Maria's character. She's not this kind of person. What does he mean by that? She's not the type of person to be happy? I... She's not the kind of person who's going to sing, I am I feel pretty and witty and gay. She's like a pragmatic, practical, strong-willed, strong woman. And this is like not a, a song that she would sing. Like that's not in her character. I don't particularly find someone who falls in love at first sight pragmatic. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, like... like... His, he wanted to actually cut this, but they're basically like, too late. We've already built sets for this. Oh, I mean, I don't have too strong thoughts on it. Like, I thought it was fine. Later that day, Tony arrives at the shop. Maria tells him that, you know, he should stop the fight altogether. They have this cute little scene where they pretend that the clothes on the mannequins in the shop are actually family members. And they're introducing each other to them. Imagine how their wedding might go. This mirrors... Romeo and Juliet, when they actually get married, I think this scene's insane. They have known each other for less than 24 hours, and they're, like, pretend getting married. So, as they say, the brightest star burns the fastest. (laughs) (laughs) The song that they sing here, I think, is really interesting, mainly because I went to a Catholic wedding in the summer. This song feels like it could be in a Catholic wedding. Like, maybe that was done very intentionally. And then the montage. I really like this song and the way they blend it's a catchy. lot of the different songs from the movie together. One of the, the lines in the song, you know, they sing the song about tonight, what's going to happen tonight. 
there will be no morning star. You know, the sun's not going to rise. We want this night to last forever. This is something we're very excited about. We're not worried about what happens tomorrow. Dave, is this foreshadowing? 100%. But here's the thing, though. If you're going in this movie and the marketing's like, it's based off Romeo and Juliet. No shit, someone's going to die. <laughs> like, its question is like, who is it going to be? Is it going to be Riff or is it going to be Bernardo? Because you, you know one of them is going to die. Tony or Maria. Yeah. Because you know yeah. exactly how Romeo and Juliet ends. All right. So then this rumble goes down. You know, the Jets and the Sharks show up at the agreed upon location. They're about to start. Tony steps in, tries to stop the fight because Maria has asked him to do this. People start shoving and things get out of hand. Eventually, Bernardo gets shoved by someone who he's not going to fight and he pulls a knife. And then well, they, they pulls, both pull pulls knife. a knife. They like simultaneously pull the knife. It was very confusing. Bernardo pulls the knife first and then Riff pulls a knife. Bernardo escalates it quite rapidly, I would say, actually. And then Riff and Bernardo start to fight with knives. Tony tries to stop it, which is maybe his, his mistake. You know, Riff is about to win. He's about to stab Bernardo. He stops it. And then Tony, again, interferes and probably in a way he shouldn't have. And Bernardo mortally wounds Riff with a knife. And in anger, Tony picks up a knife and stabs Bernardo, killing him also. Then the cops show up and everyone runs. The stab wounds, it's interesting that they die immediately. <laughs> like They have like a little like two, three inch blade and they're just dead. Yeah. Um, PG bud. <laughs> yeah, but that's like basically the... Why I think there's less blood. Get it over with quick. You, you got to get a distributor overseas. I actually think the fight scene, this is where, to me, it, it doesn't come across as realistic. It is like a ballet fight, which is where I think, again, a contemporary style of dance might be better or just some different choreography might work better for this scene today. Because to me, the fight looks silly. It's two guys rolling around doing ballet moves. I really like it. There's like one part of the dance number that I didn't like. It is very belly. So it's like riff jumps. There's like this jump scene that looks way too staged for me. But in general, like I like the choreography as in whole movie. So I think that's just something that we are not going to agree on with it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how riff dies. If I were to redo this scene, riff does this like ballet jump. It feels like almost intentionally into Bernardo's knife. It seems silly to me. You could have done it where Tony maybe gets in the way Riff can't see what's happening, and then when he moves out of the way, he gets stabbed by Bernardo. That's how I would have changed it, instead of him basically running into the knife when he was clearly avoiding that in every fashion just seconds before. I feel like that could have been done a little differently to make it real. I also wonder what would have happened had Tony not shown up, because he had basically de-escalated the fight into a fair fight. So Dave, do you have thoughts on this? I wouldn't want to mess with ice, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> ice is also like a foot taller than Bernardo. Yeah, like so ice was, <laughs> was going to win that one in a fair fight. I think it would have turned into a rumble. Honestly, I don't. I don't yeah. see. But I don't do see you this think, ending. You think the knives would have been drawn and people would have ended up dead, or do you think people would have just had like some broken bones and a black eye? I want to say probably no knives, probably no weapons. They all came with them, but as long as one person doesn't pull it, they're okay. Yeah, it was really the. Um, did it? Did Bernardo escalate that really rapidly? The scene goes like this. You know, Tony shows up. He tries to stop the fight. People start shoving. Bernardo says some things to Riff. And then someone shoves Bernardo from behind. And when he spins around, he then pulls his knife out. And then Riff pulls his knife out. 
Because he felt threatened, probably, because he's surrounded. He was fighting ice, if you recall. Yeah. That's where things escalated. It seems like the rules of the fight were off at that point when Bernardo's getting shoved by people who he had not agreed to fight. It kind of feels like if if he hadn't shown up, things would like either ice or Nardo would have just gotten beat pretty bad. And but I don't think the turf war would have been ended. No. What are the sharks supposed to do? Move to a new location in the next twenty four hours? They can't do that. Well, I'm not even sure it's like do that. It's like maybe they just can't hang around in groups and harass the jets anymore. Like I don't know exactly what happens at the end of this. Maybe just de-escalates things in the neighborhood to say, like, well, you have to disband as a gang or something. I don't know. Yeah. We are back at Maria's apartment, and Chino, one of the gang members, tells Maria that Tony has killed Bernardo. Chino, who's also in love with Maria, realizes that she is not particularly interested in him and leaves. Yeah, which is bad news because Chino is also Bernardo's best friend. Is that said in the movie somewhere? I, I I didn't pick up on that necessarily. That's what I picked up on it. They're very close. I always thought Chino was like number two in, in the Sharks and his best friend. It's like the equivalent of Riff and Tony. Here's the interesting thing about Chino. He's played by a Filipino. Not really Puerto Rican. Not even in the same ocean. So Hollywood, huh? Nothing surprises me because remember Shirley McLean played an Indian woman. <laughs> I'm glad we've like moved past it, but like any of these older movies, none of it surprises me anymore. Okay, so then Tony arrives at Maria's apartment. He actually creeps through the window while she's looking in a different direction, which I think is strange. He asks for forgiveness. He kind of tells her what happens and says, like, no one really wanted this to escalate. I tried to stop things. It didn't work out the way I wanted it to. Now both people are dead. She forgives him. He says he wants to go turn himself into the police. She says, don't do that. And then they sleep together. So does this make any sense to him? Oh, hell no. Yeah. This is nonsensical. This is the part where I'm like, I, yeah, it doesn't make one lick of sense. I could have ironed this out a little differently to have it make sense. But usually when you murder someone's brother, they're not really interested in sleeping with you within 10 minutes. So uh, I also thought it was very bizarre. I don't know. Well, they agreed to kind of run away together and they'll meet up, meet at Doc's grocery get some money together and head out of town. They want to get married and kind of start over where they don't have this hanging over them and they don't have these societal pressures that have put them at odds. Mm-hmm. I thought this was interesting. They actually moved some songs around from the original production on set. So the song Cool is sung here, which actually was supposed to happen earlier. And then the Officer Crumpke song was supposed to happen here. They move them around. I actually think it makes more sense this way. Oh, really? Yeah, so it's a little different than the stage production. And I think, again, part of the reason the stage production went this way, I think even the Sodenheim said he wanted to move it around. But again, they said it was too late because they'd built moving sets that had to work in this fashion. So they couldn't adjust it. So Ice takes over the jets and tells everyone to stay calm. They find out that Chino is hunting Tony and plans to kill him. And he has a gun. So the jets scatter to try to find Tony to prevent this from happening. So I want to talk about Cool. That's my favorite song in the musical. I, I love the dancing. I love how contained it is. They have those like weird moments where they're like acting like they're fine, and they'll go like, pop, pow. Just generally really, really loved the scene. Just stay cool. Stay cool. Stay cool, John. Stay cool. Uh, Anita goes back to Maria's apartment. She actually says she will help 
deliver a message to Tony to let him know that Maria will be there. Does, does that make sense for her, Anita? I definitely wouldn't do it. Hell no. <laughs> Anita scampers off to tell this message to the Jets. When she gets there, they are a little concerned that she's like a hired assassin of some kind or refused to let her see Tony. They harass her and it actually almost does seem like they're about to rape her. And then Doc comes into the sword. It's like, what are you doing? And then Anita, being very upset at this, as she should be, says to them, you know, in a lie that Shark found out about Maria and Tony and then killed Maria as a result. So Doc hears this and then goes and delivers that message to Tony, who who does not take it well. So in this scene, Doc is getting at the theme of the movie because he says something along the lines of, why are you kids always acting like a war's on? Yes. And I think that's like what comes out. Like no one understands why they're doing these things that these kids are doing these things that they're doing. Maybe the kids don't even understand, fully understand. When does it end is the other question that he asks. It's just tell him like he doesn't understand. But this is again where you see the immaturity of the children and how Doc's questions should be pondered, but are not. So a note about this scene. Um, so Moreno was sexually assaulted as a child and she had a very difficult time filming this. She broke down at points and then all the actors who were playing the the Jets had to comfort her. Watching this scene, like I think this is probably what got her the Oscar. I, I think she did an amazing job here. Is this the scene, because Tony now hears Maria is dead, that sets him on his sort of inevitable path to the end? Yeah, absolutely. We know that's going to happen. Again, we, we all know Shakespeare because we've read it in junior high. So thinking Maria dead, Tony leaves the store and runs through the streets, shouting Chino's name, hoping Chino will find him and shoot him and end it. So on a playground, Tony actually spots Maria and they rush towards each other. He realizes she's not dead. At the same time, Chino also sees Tony and fires at him. One of them is struck. We're not exactly sure who for a second. It turns out it's Tony. He dies in Maria's arms. The rest of the gang members arrive. Maria takes Chino's guns and threatens everybody, basically saying, like, what's wrong with you? She blames Tony's death and basically all the deaths on the stupid rivalry that really doesn't matter. Um, and tells them to stop fighting. The two gangs get together and carry Tony's body away. Police arrive and arrest Chino for the murder. And that is the end. That is a hard ending. It just ends on a downer. The final scene of the movie is actually some graffiti on a wall with the names of all the cast. Kind of moves around the wall to show those different things. I actually think that was a pretty cool way to do film credits. Yeah, that is pretty cool. So leading up to this final scene, and because I've read Romeo and Juliet, I was like, are they going to kill both of them? Are they both going to die? Yeah. And I was very curious to see how and if this movie would change. Nick obviously didn't. I actually did think they were going to kill both of them at one point. Um, so what were you thinking when that went about, about this? So this is one of the movies that my music teacher had us watch for years at a time in our music class in grade school. Years at a time? <laughs> Oh, that's right. You like 25 minutes at a time. Yeah, we, we had like the laziest music teacher who would like play movies for us. We never would really get to the end and she would never remember where we left off because she was half-assing her job the entire semester and having everyone basically watch the same thing. I couldn't remember what happened at the end. I, I thought both of them were going to die because I thought it was going to be Romeo and Juliet. And I've been thinking about this for the last couple of days. I think Romeo and Juliet has a better ending. I think if they both would have died, it would have been stronger a stronger movie. Um, and there are probably pressures put on the writer and to have a, hap 
not a happy ending, but a happier ending. Because at least in this case, Maria can go on and have an, a better life. I also don't think the ending where the gangs carry off Tony works. And I don't think it makes any sense. I don't think Maria's argument is strong enough. It just like ends. It says the end. <laughs> and that's it. I think maybe the point is of that ending that they recognized they were being silly and there could have been some unity with the gangs. Tony and Maria's relationship maybe could have bridged that gap. It didn't quite happen, but maybe it did at the same time. So maybe what we're seeing is that the the gangs no longer feel the need to fight now that several people have ended up dead, something they didn't necessarily want to have happen. I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it's not a great ending for me. I really, I really don't think it is. So what do you think would have happened had Tony not died? Do you think his relationship with Maria would have worked? I don't think so. These are kids. This, I don't think it would have worked. Barely knew each other. They were going to run away each other after 24, 48 hours with no money. Well, they got a little money from Doc, but yeah. Yeah, I don't think it would have worked. How about you? I would probably agree. It's been a few weeks and they would have started fighting because they don't know anything about each other. Yeah, they're going to just take a trip to New Jersey for a long weekend. Yeah. <laughs> and then Maria's going to come back. Oh, sorry, Mom and Dad. <laughs> sorry, Nardo. So is West Side Story so relevant today? I guess I can answer that because they made a movie of it. Another movie. So it's yes. <laughs> Apparently, the, there's a program that was developed around the West Side Story with the police where they bring in rival gangs and have them watch this movie and then discuss what's happening between them to de-escalate tensions between them. So I think that's another way in which this movie stays relevant. Interesting. I mean, I think it's really cool. I would like to see how it worked. I would like more stories around that. Let's get into why this movie won. I, I covered this. So so again, when this movie came out, it was a clear Best Picture frontrunner and it won Best Picture. So it was not an exciting race. What people need to understand about this movie is that it was really groundbreaking for the time. 20-ish minutes before dance number. The choreography is very, very strong. The music is very strong. Um, it looks amazing. Uh, acting is pretty good. Some parts really good. <laughs> it just crushed it, honestly. Like, the other movies weren't going to surpass it. Watching those other movies, this one just stands out. It's got catchy songs, good set design, good cinematography, good acting. I agree with everything you say there. Yeah, can I ask... Are you, do you get tired of people doing Shakespeare interpretations and adaptations? It's not something I'm necessarily looking for, but if someone does it well, I guess that's great. What about you? We get a lot of Shakespeare stuff. And not that it's bad, but I'm just like curious why. Comes with like maybe some gravitas to it. Yeah, I don't have a full thought on it other than like, oh, it's just curious that we, we really go back to the Shakespeare well a lot. Is that the thinking there? People are like, oh, Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but also, like, let's be honest, like, some of his stuff's really good, right? I know that we say we don't like him a lot, but it's really the language that I struggle with, not the story. Like, the stories are pretty awesome. Right. I need it interpreted for me. Right. The Shakespearean prose, right. You gotta, you do have to sift through that quite a bit. Yeah. So, I mean, the situations are pretty cool, and that could be it. And it could be that they're universal themes, you know, like, or love, like, immediate love is... You know, people want to write about that all the time. So maybe that's what it is. It's a good story. And actually modernizing it makes it more accessible. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, could you imagine watching, reading Shakespeare and your teacher's like, and now you're going to watch West Side Story? Yeah, I think we did that. No, we watched the Claire Danes one, I think. Does anyone remember if that's any good? I mean, John Lake Lazamo is great in it. You got your Leo. 
I don't I don't remember. Oh, and what's his name? Ant Man's in it. Paul Rudd. Juliet's supposed to marry him. Yeah, and he and he looks the same, exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> if we should watch that again. I have not watched that in years. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe we'll do the Baz Luhrmann trilogy. Okay, so critique. What do you got? I think the biggest thing is probably Puerto Rican characters were not particularly Puerto Rican. Marina was the only one. And then, as I said, one of them is actually Filipino because many of them don't really even have speaking lines. They could have just gone with Puerto Ricans. So they applied some makeup to make them look a little darker. Even the actual Puerto Rican, they changed how she looks to fit whatever stereotype there is. So maybe that's the biggest problem is like, there was a strange stereotype of what Puerto Ricans were supposed to look like, and it's not actually what Puerto Ricans look like. And it's problematic because Puerto Rican history isn't taught what you see on screen. It's all you know. Yeah, it's yeah. all you know. So that's like these stereotypes are – they're negative stereotypes. So that makes this film you know, problematic in some ways. Right. You don't like the fight choreography. I think we've covered that. Yes. Don't hire a dancer to do fight choreography is my general advice. Yeah, I think that's fair. I would like to see your interpretation of this. I'm not a fan of Wood and Bamer. I think they're really outshined basically by everyone else. So there's that moment where Bamer like screams Maria's name and you could feel some anguish there. I thought that was a good moment. Yeah, yeah. But I, I was really into um, Bernardo's character. I thought he did an amazing job. And same with Anita. I was watching Riff move around through some of the songs pretty physical actor he was walking on his hands kind of using gymnast bars to swing around and pull himself up on so like he was physically in great shape and and could do a lot of the things that they wanted so that was impressive as well yeah one of the things i for me that i wish what they would have done more of the characters felt too soft there was like this sheen over everything that they weren't rough enough and I just wish they were, especially the Jets, were just more rough. I think that would have lent some credibility to the narrative. They don't seem particularly rough and tough to me either. <laughs> cool. I do have audience questions. Let's go with that. Yeah, so I asked Twitter and our Instagram fans, just send me some thoughts. Like, what did, what did they want us to talk about? And one of them I got was, is this movie better than Singing in the Rain? I don't know if you've seen that movie, John, but I have. Uh, no. Singing in the Rain is superior to West Side Story in basically every way. I haven't seen Singing in the Rain in probably 15 years, so it's really hard for me to say. Yeah, I, I mean, I watched it last year. Like, I, okay. I know. I know it is. Like, I love Singing in the Rain. It's just, it's wild. Uh, Gene Kelly doing some amazing Gene Kelly work. <laughs> this is one of my favorites. Where do all the gang members practice their dancing? On the playground. Yeah, could you imagine that they're like, no, we have choreography dance practice today. You go under the underpass. (laughs) I also like, there's a bunch of alleys that are sort of just dead ends. Like, that's where they hung out. There's not that many dead alleys in New York. I know of two. Everything is basically filled up. Maybe it was different in the 50s, but... And then this is what I had to interpret. It was just Rita Moreno, Queen, question mark. (laughs) So I'm going to go with yes. (laughs) How about you? Like you're saying like, yes, queen? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm, I'm just interpreting it. Like I didn't get a, I don't understand it. <laughs> Does she do a good job in this movie? Yes. Yes, she, she is amazing. You're right. Uh, she's an EGOT winner. How does this movie compare to the new film? That's a great question. And we'll cover that likely in the Oscar prediction episode because we have not gotten to it. Curious to see what a modern interpretation is. Yeah, same. I bet the knife fight, like you said, is probably going to be much different. I haven't seen the trailer. So again, I don't even know. 
It's like uh, Captain America and Winter Soldier. <laughs> <laughs> the Marvelification of movies have struck again. <laughs> uh, favorite song? Oh, probably the Officer Crumpy song, just because I find it funny. What about you? No, Crump you? <laughs> yeah. That was supposed to be F you, by the way. Favorite song? I love Cool, followed by America, followed by the Jet song. They're all very strong, I would say. Is this better than Romeo and Juliet? <laughs> so what Romeo and Juliet doesn't have are catchy show tunes. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so in that aspect, yes. Is it better? I think the story needs a little work for a few of the plot points. Like they're pretty threadbare as to why certain characters do certain things. And I think that needs to be workshopped a little bit. Yeah. I think the story of Romeo and Juliet is better. But I think this is a better watch for entertainment value. Yeah, I think that's a good answer. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is one, again, like I have to interpret. It was just snaps, question mark. (laughs) Uh, And so here's the thing, John. Um, I could not be a member of the Jets. And here's why. I can't snap. At all? I can can do it. I'm going to do it now on the microphone. Whoa. That's that's about all I got. It's like the softest, babyest snap. I can't do it. Yeah. Why? Well, you need to practice, Dave. I, it comes with practice and dance. Could you imagine anybody sitting on a stoop like, I'm going to get my snaps in and I'm going to join that gang? <laughs> uh, but anyway, I'm really bad at it. I do love that scene, though, the snapping. I think it's really cool. Those are the end of our audience questions. Thank you, everyone. I really appreciate you uh, sending in to me. And if I missed you, I'll just try to respond to you on Instagram. So winner or wiener? I think it's a winner. It's entertaining. It has good songs. The cinematography and sets are great for what it is. You know, they definitely made it still feel like a play. What about you? 100% winner. I really liked it. Yeah. Especially the dancing. I love I love this movie. Poor name. What do you got for us, Dave? Wet Side Story. Okay. Huh? Huh? I mean, I understand where you're going with that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was curious if there was a porn parody for this, so I I Googled it. I found a title, but the movie doesn't actually seem to have anything to do with gangs, and it was Breast Side Story. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, not Jets and Sharks fighting. I was disappointed. All right. Our next episode is going to be the Oscar Predictions podcast. We're fishing up our watches on that. Generally, not real happy with this year, John. I'm just throw it out there. I think it's pretty mediocre. And the the movies have really long run time. They do. Oh, it's brutal. Oh, oh my god. Yeah. You know, in the past couple of years, they've been like, we will do up to ten. No, it was they actually were like, you got to do ten this year. And I was like, you fuckers. <laughs> I think we just put an asterisk next to these two years and just say COVID years, and everyone just goes, yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, COVID years. Yeah, uh, a lot of controversy about Iron Man not making it. The, I guess part of the controversy seems to be that the Academy said that they were going to include some more popular movies in there, and that was by far the most popular movie. I think it was poised to break box office records for of all time. I don't know if that's still I true. It was very close because it made a billion um, dollars more than that. Yeah, like closing in on two. So it's like beat out everything else. So Sony's never going to give up Spider-Man. <laughs> That's true. This, yeah, it's, it's mine point. forever. <laughs> uh, you have to say that it's because the Marvel crew is involved. It's not because Sony does good movies. Example, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Terrible, terrible movie. Popular movies did make it. Dune, Dune. is on the list. Yeah. 
I'm one of those fans who like, I think it should have been nominated. I don't think it deserves best picture winner. It's not a winner, but it's, it should be nominated. What we're going to do after that, so you can prep and get this one because it's not super easy to find. That is going to be, you can't take it with you. That's from 1938. A snobbish Wall Street banker becomes engaged to a woman from a good natured, but eccentric family. We are closing in on fishing up the thirties, John. So I thought let's just barrel through it. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, like this one in Gone with the Wind. I feel like there's like... one. There's one more. There's three of three of the 1930s. Stuff. Okay, right. That's what I figured. We were close. Oh, it's the great Siegfried. Yeah, I didn't want to do that. Huh? I saw that and I was like, I can't handle that one. We got like, There's like some of these old ones you gotta... I have to like sandwich them into between good ones because like some of them are just rough. Dave, how can people get a hold of us? You can reach us at david at awardreaders.com, john at awardreaders.com. You can talk to us on Instagram at awardweeners. If you're on some type of app, just look up the War Wieners. No jazz before the next episode. Dear kindly Sergeant Krupke, you gotta understand, it's just our bringing up key that gets us out of hand. Our mothers all are junky, our fathers all are drunk. Golly Moses, naturally we're pumped. Tea, Officer Krupke, we're very upset. We never had the love that every boy ought to get. We ain't no delinquents, we're misunderstood. Close to the
Shall go days. T I'm a the crop king. What are we gonna do? T I'm a the crop king. Fuck you.